What's up, guys? I'm Tyler, and with me on the other end of the line is my amigo and co-host, Curtis. And uh, we appreciate all of you joining us on today's August Listener Mailbag Edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. We will answer all your questions here in just a second momentarily, but first we do just want to quickly encourage all of you to follow and, and interact with us on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA. Uh, you can also email us at podcast at gmail.com or check us out uh, on our Facebook page, the Glory UGA Podcast Facebook page, if that is easier for you. Whatever is easiest for you works for us. Uh, but we do, regardless of how you contact us, we definitely do want to hear your thoughts on the show and the topics that we discuss here on the podcast, so don't be shy. Um, you can also subscribe to, review, share, and like the show on a variety of podcasting platforms, including the major ones like iTunes, SoundCloud, and the Stitcher and TuneIn app. So definitely let us know what you guys think so that we can do our best to make sure we are doing the best job we can for you. All right, uh, on to the mailbag here. Normally, we do our mailbag shows at the end of the month, and I know this is almost the end of the month, but with the next with next week being game week number one, the week we have all been waiting so long for, uh, and along with that, the kind of the necessity of doing game preview and game prediction shows, we thought we'd go ahead and run the August Listener Mailbag show today, just kind of move it up a week. We usually break this into two shows, but again, with next week being taken up by preview and prediction shows, we're going to try to fit as many of your questions as we can into this one show. So if we don't spend as much time answering each question as we normally do, that's why we're trying to fit as many as we can into this one show so we can get them all in. That's always our goal. Uh, We're just trying to get everything taken care of today. So with that, Let's go ahead and open up this mailbag. I don't want to waste too much time at all. All right, Kurt, question number one. This is an email question from Aiden. Aiden, definitely appreciate the question, man. Uh, and Actually, the first couple questions here, kind of put these together. We had a couple questions about the AP poll that I think was released, was it late Monday? Does that sound about right, Kurt? Uh, yeah. Monday afternoon, right. something like that. So when, we, when the coaches poll came out a couple weeks ago, but the preseason AP poll, which – these polls don't matter for anything, but they do make for good conversation, kind of increase interest in the, in the game. Uh, so we've got a couple of those here. We're going to start with Aiden. And Aiden says, what is your, or ask, what is your assessment of where Georgia is ranked in the preseason A people? For those of you who might not have gotten a chance to see it, we came in at number 15, right? Smack, about smack dab in the middle there. So, Kurt, so for you, what, what, do you, what, is, what do you make of that? What's your assessment of where we landed? it's a pretty fair assessment you know um, I don't think we're a top 10 team in no doubt or in no way shape or form yet and um, I think 15 the 15 range is pretty solid I mean you're right it's closer to the middle of the pack um, for the top 25 I mean a little bit farther back in the top 60 I'd say percent of the top 25 and I think that's a fair es- uh, estimate I mean we can we're a type team that we're you know we've talked about it where we can either be close to 10 and 2 11 and 1 or you know there's possibility of 7 and 5 8 and 4 we don't know so I think that we have a talent to, for a ranked team and I think where we're ranked is pretty close yeah uh, my response to this question it's a great question I appreciate it um, is that number 15 in these polls? That sounds about right. I'm with you, Kurt. It sounds about right for us right now. Uh, I think we potentially could be a top 10 team by the end of the season, but I don't think you can sit here and say that right now, and I don't think you can have an issue with us not being ranked in the top 10 the preseason. Uh, I, so I do think that the potential is there. Um, so it makes sense that we are somewhere respectable in the top 25, but we still haven't done it yet. Uh, and potential is, at this point, all it is. It's just potential. 
So, again, like you said, I don't think we deserve to be in the top 10. So, if I think we're good enough to be in the rankings, but not quite good enough to be in the top 10 yet, at least based on what we've done, maybe by the end of the year, but we just haven't done it yet. And that's what these preseason polls are really about. Uh, I think 15 sounds about right. I, I don't see. Do you see that as disrespectful? Um, no, not at all. I actually kind of think that's a little uh, favorable for us compared to, you know, some of the seasons like Florida and other teams have had and yeah. us being ahead of them. Right. Florida ranked number 17 in the AP poll preseason here, and they're the two time defending SEC East champion. Uh, so, yeah, but I, I mean. I'm okay with us being a notch or two above. I don't think the difference between us and Florida is all that wide. I don't think there's a wide goal okay, there. No, I don't think there is either, but you look at someone like Clemson, who I think is, what, two? And oh, yeah, yeah. They, or number two? I think Clemson was number five in the AP poll. I think. All right, maybe that one. But and most of these teams, you know, are getting a lot of favor because of what they've done last year. Like Wisconsin, some of these other teams, they may be good, but a lot of it's based on what they did last year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, honestly, I know Clemson – uh, they've recruited well. Uh, Dabo Swinney has been a, built a really good program there. Honestly, I think number five is too high for them. Uh, but you're, I think, but you're exactly right. I think they're getting the benefit of the doubt right now because they won the national championship last year, and I understand that. Uh, but I also think that while last year can can be somewhat constructive or instructive, I should say, on what's going to happen this year, it's not the be all end all because in college football there's so much turnover and every year is a new year. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm with you on this one. All right, um, next question here. Staying with the AP poll here for a few minutes. This is from Thomas via email. Appreciate it, Thomas. Uh, Thomas asks, who is the team ranked in the preseason top 10 most likely to end the season unranked, and which team unranked in the preseason AP poll would you pick to finish inside the top 10? Uh, so it's a two-part question. So ba- again, the first part is basically which team that's unranked right now would you uh, pick to, or which team that is ranked in the top ten right now would you pick to finish unranked? Kurt, we'll start with that one by the end of the season. Um, to start with that one, I definitely have to go with um, probably Oklahoma State. Okay, why Oklahoma State? What stands out there? Um, just the fact of who they are. I mean, they've lost so many. In the past couple of years, games that they shouldn't have lost, um, they just they just never put together put it together correctly, um, and I think that's one of the biggest reasons. And I think you know you're they're gonna have they're gonna have a tougher schedule. I mean, um, you know, Oklahoma's gonna be a lot better team, um, yeah. and I think there's all yeah. Uh, in, I know this is this is a hard question because like, okay, they're doing top ten for a reason. They're pretty good, but actually, if you go back and look at the numbers right now for the in recent history, there's been, I think it is in the last nine years, there's been 19 teams that started the year preseason top 10. So again, nine years, the last nine years have been 19 teams that started the season in the preseason top 10 and finished the season unranked. There's been at least one every year since 2002. So odds are one of these teams are going to fall out. Uh, and f- I think Oklahoma state's a good pick there. I have no issue with that whatsoever. Uh, for me, though, I'm going to go in a little different direction, and I'm going to go uh, with the number nine team. Oklahoma State was ranked number 10. Uh, I'm looking at Wisconsin right here, man. Yeah, that was definitely my number two choice. Yeah, I mean, Wisconsin, look, they have a – I will give – I understand to a degree why they're ranked so high because they do have a very manageable schedule. They play in the much weaker Big Ten West. Uh, they're the clear favorite in that division. But despite a manageable schedule, I just don't believe they're all that talented. I really don't. Uh, especially after the the heartbreaking news, they lose their uh, leader. I think a senior, but leader and heart of their defense in Jack Sitchie. 
uh, which that's a tough blow for a team that doesn't have a ton of high-profile players and doesn't have a ton of like you know elite, talented type players. Uh, that's that's a huge loss. And Hornybrook at quarterback, I know he played a lot last year. I just I don't know, man. I I need to see a full year from him and see him do it in big time games because I just at this point. I'm not necessarily buying them as a top 10 caliber team. They play at BYU in the third week of the season. That could easily be a loss. Uh, you go across time zones there. Uh, they have, outside of that, their, their uh, non-conference schedule is relatively manageable. we got uh, Florida Atlantic and Utah State. Utah State could potentially, you know, they're a, usually a pretty good group of five team, but uh, they're coming to camp right now. That's not going to be a win. But you got Michigan down the road at the end of the season. Uh, they, I will say, they don't have Ohio State or Penn State in their uh, on the on the schedule here. But look, man, at Nebraska, at BYU, Michigan, easily could be could lose two of those three games. And I just don't know if they're good enough to not slip up somewhere else along the way and lose a game they probably shouldn't lose. Maybe at Indiana, maybe Iowa comes into Camp Randall does something. Maybe they lose at Minnesota in the season. Uh, I, so I just this team, I, I know their schedule is manageable, but I don't see the talent there at least a top 10 level talent team there. Uh, All right, the next question here, or kind of staying with it, the next part of this question, who is a uh, a team that's unranked in the preseason AP poll that you think by the end of the season could finish in the top 10? Because over the past five years, there have been 12 unranked teams, or teams that were unranked in the preseason AP poll that have finished inside the top 10. And seven of those 12 teams actually received zero votes uh, votes zero points in the preseason poll, but somehow by the end of the season managed to finish inside the top ten. So who is that team this year, Curtis? Um, in my opinion, it's TCU. Um, I think it's just the fact that um, Gary Cooper, or I think that's his name, Gary Patterson. Gary Patterson. Well, yeah, um, not Gary very, he, Patterson. He's a very good coach, and we saw it last year firsthand. Um, they yeah. have some weapons on that team. Um, they have the ability to become a very good team, and that's the thing I think makes them dangerous. Is you know the Big Twelve still is not there yet which makes it kind of wide open for them in the in saying that, you know, Texas is not back to a powerhouse if they will be, um, So, which kind of opens it up for them. And that. also the fact is that, you know, Kenny Hill, while he has been royally insignificant, or I mean in, uh, inconsistent. In, in, inconsistent, yeah, doesn't, doesn't stop the fact that when he's on, he's on. I mean, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league when he plays right. Yeah, and he's, he's and the dual threat guy. And if you together for a season, then they could be very dangerous. Absolutely. Then, honestly, man, that is a team that I considered as well. I went in a little different direction, but I cannot fault you at all for going TCU. Uh, we saw them firsthand uh, last year, and I mean, look, they were beating us most of that game. Uh, we were able to kind of wear them down because with their defense, they put a lot, they favor speed over size, and we just kind of kept pounding the ball, pounding the ball. We didn't have much success early in the game, very little success in the first half, actually until late in the first half. Sony kind of caught fire, but the second half kind of wore them down. But you don't see that in the Big Twelve, you know. Um, you typically see the kind of defense offenses that they're built to stop, uh, and Gary Patterson does have that defensive background. They, 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 and this is a, ever since they moved up to the Big Twelve, they've kind of been up and down. Like one year they'll be really solid, next year they'll take a step back and they'll be really good again. It's one of those up and down teams, and they were okay last year. So you're right, this might be a year where they kind of sneak back up into that top ten range. I've got two teams there. I had a really hard time picking between them. The first team, uh, it's. Look, I guess you could say I'm hopping on the bandwagon here to a degree because they have been a popular uh, sleeper pick of sorts, uh, and that's the NC State Wolfpack. 
I totally understand, guys, that their schedule is tough. I know they play in the ACC Atlantic, which is a much tougher side of the ACC. You got Clemson, you got Louisville, you got Florida State. I totally recognize that. But this team is going to be very good this year, or much better than they have been in the past. I know they, they also have South Carolina to open the season, a neutral site game, if you want to call it that, in Charlotte. Uh, but I fully expect NC State to win that football game. I think South Carolina will be improved, but it's a bad matchup for Carolina. They're... Uh, Offensive line, at least last year, was a train wreck. Doesn't seem to be, doesn't look to be, that much improved this year. And that NC State defensive line is one of, if not the best defensive line in the country. When you look at guys like Bradley Chubb, Contavious uh, Street, BJ Hill, in that defensive line, Bradley Chubb had double-digit sacks last year. And then offensively, they returned Ryan Finley for another year at quarterback, who's a former transfer from Boise State. You got Jaden Samuels, you got Naheem Hines out there. They, the skill players are set, and th- defensively. It's going to be tough to move the ball on them. It's going to be tough to run the ball. They have guys can get after the passer. So I think this is a team that you would definitely watch here. Well, another team that was really kind of on my radar to enter the season, I know this sounds weird because they're not a traditional power in any way, shape, or form, and that's the Northwestern Wildcats. Uh, and a couple reasons for me real quick here. Clayton Thorson at quarterback, he's returning now. Couple years as a starter, he's over 3,000 yards as a passer last year. You got Justin Jackson, the star running back, coming back. He was an over 1,500 yard rusher last year. They do lose Austin Carr, who was a really good receiver, over 1,200 yards receiving for them last year. Uh, but they have some guys that that were good pieces last year that might potentially be able to step up and take some of that burden. And their schedule, I really like Notre Dame or uh, Northwestern schedule from the Big Ten East. They only draw Penn State. Okay, and yes. Uh, Penn State should, should be pretty good this year, but they get Penn State at home. They do have to go to Wisconsin. If they can get by Wisconsin uh, the last week of September, I think this is a team that could sneak their way into the into the top 10 at some point. Because, uh, look, outside of Wisconsin, you at Wisconsin, you got Penn State at home. Their toughest non-conference game is at Duke. Um and then you got the rest of the slate is pretty much the Big Ten West, which is not that great. I mean, you got teams like Iowa. Uh, you got they do have that Nebraska would be tough, but Minnesota, Purdue, Illinois. It's a very manageable schedule for them. They got a lot of guys returning. And this is another team kind of like TCU, where they they kind of build for uh, they they steadily build until they hit that that high point where you got a senior or, or a high level quarterback who's an upperclassman. You got a lot, a lot of returning stars who have got a lot of experience, and I think this might be that type of year for Northwestern where they cycle back up. So that those are two teams I'm looking at here: NC State, Northwestern, starting outside the top 25, but potentially could finish inside the top 10. I'm not gonna say I would predict that, but if I had to pick a couple teams, so who, who I would look at. All right, next question here. Reggie from Twitter. Appreciate it, Reggie, as always, man. Uh, Reggie asks, who's the first guy in after DeAndre Baker in that boundary corner spot? Kurt, how do you see that play out? Um, I think it's simply Aaron Davis. Um, the fact is that when Parrish comes back, that it's pretty much shown that Davis the number, you know, the next guy yeah. up at the quarterback position. I think you're absolutely right there uh, once we get Parrish back. But let's say – God forbid. And if Parrish is out, yeah. then you're probably looking at Tyreek McGee. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think long-term, we want that answer to be a mere speed, long-term. But from everything I've been able to gather, his head's still kind of spinning right now. Uh, he's trying to get the system down. But I think he's got the length, the size, the athleticism, the, the coverage skills that we want long-term. I just don't know if he's going to be that guy anytime soon, or like this year at any point. But um, I think you're right. Tyreek McGee, if, if we're talking about the first game or two, if Parrish is out – it seems like Tyreek McGee is going to be that first corner off the bench over there at the boundary spot, which is where you want to have your better uh, your better cover guys. It's a shorter throw for the quarterback to make. It's like to pick on those guys a little bit more. So I think Tyreek McGee could probably be that guy. I'm with you on that. 
All right, uh, next question here. And I'm going to let you take this one first, Kurt. Uh, but I, this is one I'm going to probably spend a little more time on because I love the X's and O's talk. We'll try to catch up on some of the other questions. But Mean Machine, appreciate it, man. Mean Machine from Twitter has a great question because I love the X's and O's. I'll dig into this. And he asks, how would you tailor the offense this season if the offensive line again proves insufficient? Kurt, what would your answer be? If our offensive line is just not any better than it was last year, the same issues we saw last year, how do you tell the offense to move the football, score points, and win football games? Um, I think you're simply going to have to go from what some of these uh, teams that you see, teams that are successful without being as talented, is more of a spread attack. I mean, you're going to have to run a lot from the shotgun. Even your running formation is about to be out of shotgun while also trying to spread out defenses to open up some lanes in the end. Uh, up the middle, and while also doing that, I think you have to go to more of a short, quick attack, uh, passing attack. Absolutely, we don't, we don't have the hogs to go deep, so you're going to have to um, really draw up p- patterns that open up guys in the boundaries and things like, like that. Um, quick slants and you know certain types of pick pick plays and things like that are what I would do. Um, just go into more of a uh, just a more quick read system. Yeah, I'm with you 100. When you say we don't have the hogs to go deep, are you talking like we don't have the, the linemen to protect long enough for us yeah, to I take mean, these that, shots? While Eason missed some, you know, what we talked about him, while he missed some wide open guys last year, there were also times where guys were open, but we just couldn't get them the ball. Yeah, we couldn't protect them long enough for him to get a chance to make those throws. You're right because those plays obviously take take a little bit longer to develop. I think you're spot on. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and apologize up front. I'm gonna beg your forgiveness, Curtis, and our loyal listeners out there. If I'm a little long-winded on this, I just love the X's and O's talk. So I'm gonna just dig in this for a second here. Uh, but I, I'm very similar to what you said there, Kurt. Uh, for me, it's pretty simple. We need to, if the offensive line again proves insufficient, which is a very real possibility. I'm not ready to say it's gonna be the case. I, I, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt and let this, and see them in action. Let them show me. But it's still a very realistic possibility that there's going to be very little improvement on the offensive line. We'll see, but it's possible. So if the offensive line is not improved, and again, they're insufficient for us to run what we want to run and be be the team we want to be long-term, I think we need to introduce more option and more constraint concepts into the offense. And I'm not talking traditional triple options like Georgia Tech, but plays in the running game that involve leaving a defender unblocked and optioning off of whatever he does. Essentially RPO plays. Uh, but those come in so many different permutations. We talked about that on the show before. That you can you can absolutely base an entire offense around. You may not want to, but if necessary, you absolutely can. In uh, in optioning off players and in, in, in introducing more option constraint concepts in the offense, it does a couple things for you. Number one, it's going to create more space in the passing game because when we do throw it, we will essentially be throwing it into a void left open by a defender who's attacking the line of scrimmage on the play action fake. Uh, and then in the run game, it'll also create more space because it's going to allow us to take defenders out of plays by optioning off of them without actually having to dedicate a blocker to do so, which will give us the numbers advantage that's going to help us overcome any sort of talent or size deficiencies that we may have this season. I mean, the bottom line is if if our offensive line isn't there yet, until it gets to the point that we have the personnel that's necessary to physically impose our will on defenses, we've got to move to what I call the spread eye. And you've all seen this before. You might not call it the spread eye, but it's what I call the spread eye. Because this has been, this has really become over the past couple of years, quintessential, the quintessentially modern college style offense. And what it is, what the spread eye is shotgun, three wide receiver set with an H back as opposed to an inline tight end. Basically, your tight end's backed up off the line of scrimmage, kind of there behind your, off the tail of your, of your offensive tackle. 
there's a couple of reasons why I would want to move in that direction if our offensive line is not any better this year. Number one, it's going to enhance the diversity of the run game by using the H-back on traps, kick-out blocks, iso blocks, and all of those blocks are much easier for your new-age hybrid tight ends like Nada and Warner to execute rather than just base blocking a defensive end rather than standing in front of them in line and base blocking a defensive end, which is going to be tough to do, or even comboing with the offensive tackle. Those H-back trap, kick-out, iso blocks are just much easier to execute for those guys. It also has the added advantage of keeping the defense guessing regarding where the H-back is going to be creating a new gap. If you're operating with an inline tight end, the defense knows where every gap will be before the snap because the tight end can't move. He's in line. He's, he's tethered to the line there. And so if they know where all the gaps are going to be before the, the snap, the defense can deploy their resources accordingly to plug those gaps. But if the defense has no clue where their gaps are going to be because the H-back can move any part of the post snap, he can move anywhere on the field there. Uh, that structure changed after snap, which can throw defenses into absolute chaos. And then you can use the H-back to run option routes as linebackers and work in the RPO game. And really, like you said, Kurt, just generally find ways to get the quarterback quick, easy reads to get the ball out of his hand quickly. And man, you are going to be in business. So I'm very curious, number one, to see if our offensive line has improved, and if so, how much. And then number two, if they have not improved, what is our answer? Because that was the problem last year. We didn't have much of an answer. We tried a few different things, but we didn't really have a solid, consistent answer to deal with that issue. And it played this all season long. So we've, we've, there's been a lot of talk about Cheney going around to different programs, different coaching staffs, and just talking ball, getting ideas, kind of changing up the scheme a little bit. We'll see. I think time will tell on that front. But if we need to do that, or if the offensive line is not ready to, to really improve to the level that we need them to, I think what we, what we just laid out probably be the best way to go there. All right, next question here. Alvin from Twitter. Thanks for the question, Alvin. Uh, Alvin asks, could there be two freshman offensive linemen starting for us before the end of the season? Kerr, how do you see that? Uh, I think that's probably 80% possibility with um, Thomas looking at playing at right tackle right now. Um, I, I think you're about wondering. 99% that he's yeah, going to start. You know, not talking absolutes because everyone... Yeah, you know. I mean, it looks like, it, it, as of right now, it looks like Thomas is going to start, right? Yeah, and then um, I would be shocked if, you know, not by, no later than halfway into the season, uh, Wilson locks up that guard position. You know, I wouldn't be surprised either. Look, uh, I'm with you, man. Like, the, my answer to this question, Alvin, would be absolutely. I think it's very possible. I don't know, Kurt, if I would go quite, you said 80%. I don't know if I would. Yeah, yeah I mean, it absolutely could happen. I would, I would put the odds 50-50, 60-40 right now. Uh, in favor of it possibly happening. I think we move, like we talked about this in the last show, I think we move Wilson there because we want more beef inside and we're not sure if long-term Pat Allen's the answer. But we know that Wilson's not quite ready yet, but when he gets ready, it'd be nice to be able to plug him in there and have a little more size and kind of be the front that we want to be so we can run the scheme that we want to run. Uh, But at at the touchdown club, the Athens touchdown club uh, on Monday, Kirby was the guest speaker. And a question about Isaiah Wilson or some of the freshmen. And talking about Isaiah Wilson... He essentially said he doesn't know. He doesn't think he's going to be ready to start this year. But again, I don't know. Can you, do you really buy that, Kerr? I mean, can, should we no, trust no, that? I think they're trying. I think they're trying to talk. Uh, you know, because that's been the talk of everything. I think Kirby trying to you know put some attention on the you know the guys that are in there right now and kind of stop the talk of so much of the freshmen. Yeah, and Wilson. I mean, look. Wouldn't you say he's probably our most hyped recruit this past signing class? Um, probably in the last fifteen years. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 he's been one of the most, yeah, one of the most hyped guys in a long time. I mean, by virtue of the fact that he was a lineman that we needed desperately, and he's also a guy we pulled from. 
uh, Brooklyn, and for a while people didn't think we had a chance. So, I mean, he was a high-profile recruit for us, big-time guy, like the kind of guy that we were not getting under Mark Rick. Um, so, I look, I, I think Kirby does a really good job of being straightforward and honest when he's giving interviews and he's talking to the press and all that. I really do. But I also think he's the kind of guy that wants to protect his players, especially as freshmen. And if there's one area of the team where he maybe he's not quite as straightforward and honest with or about, I think, maybe the freshman, especially a guy like Wilson, who there's so much pressure put on him, so much, so many expectations, like Easton. Maybe he learned his lesson from Easton last year because there were a lot of expectations heaped on Easton, and I think a lot of disappointment in his play. I mean, he wasn't great, but a lot of the disappointment in play was based on the just out-of-this-world expectations, the unreasonable expectations that were placed on him, and Kirby saw that up close and personal there. So I think this might possibly be a way that he's kind of protecting Wilson from those expectations in the best way that he can. So I... I do think by the end of the year, Wilson could. I, don't, I, I can't say he will, but I think he very well could work himself into that left guard position if Allen can't hold up. And, and look, look, I will say about Allen, the coaches see something they like in him. I mean, if he finished the spring as a starter and he's he's holding his own, he's still holding that starting spot right now, uh, maybe there's something there. I just, I, until I see it, I don't know if I'm ready to believe it because I just, if you look at the size, I don't know if he's, like I said on the show earlier in the week, if he's the answer there, I don't, he's, I don't know if he really solves the issues we had up front last year. Uh, maybe. We'll see. But I think it's a real possibility for sure. All right, next question here. Paul uh, from email. Paul asks, who are the top three offenses we will face? And then who are the top three defenses we will face? So, Kurt, let's start with the offenses on our schedule. Who would you put as the top three offenses? Um, Notre Dame, Missouri, and Auburn. Those are the exact three that I have. Would you put them in? Is there any order you put them in? Probably the order I said. So you say that again one more time. You said Notre Dame, Missouri, then Auburn. Notre Dame, Missouri, Auburn. I've got Missouri, Notre Dame, Auburn. So very little difference there. But I think it's, I mean, Missouri averaged 500 yards a game last year in the SEC. They've got essentially everybody come back in that offense. I think Drew Locke's ready to break out. If you guys listen to our preview show, I'm very high on Missouri. I think they're going to be a sleeper team in the entire SEC this year. Uh, you also, if you've been listening, you know I'm very high on Notre Dame's offense. Their defense is terrible, uh, but they're offensively that's a very dangerous football team. And then Auburn, if Gus Malzahn, like we've said several times on the show, if he is willing to totally release control of that offense to Chip Lindsey and allow him to implement his system, which is a really good fit for Jarrett Stidham, then I think that could be a very dangerous offense as well, unfortunately. Uh, all right, flip it over to the defensive side of the ball. Who would be the top three defenses on our schedule? Um, I think you're going to see Florida. Right. You got them. Yeah. Um, Auburn. Yeah. I'm with you. And then I'm probably going to have to go with Mississippi State. See, wasn't this a tough question? I mean, that part, like, the first two kind of jump out at you, yeah, right? Florida and Auburn? Yeah, the first two come out, but the third one, I mean, it could be anyone. But I see Mississippi State, you know, they got a couple transfers in. Uh, they got Todd Grantham know, coming over, if you believe in Todd him. Grantham, I mean, you know, uh, I think if any of the teams, I mean, you got to think of non-conference who we got. I don't see Tech being one of the top three defenses. No. Notre, Notre Dame, Dame definitely sure. not. Yeah, um, Appalachian and, State. And, yeah. And then but they were pretty, that, I will say the Appalachian State defense was pretty opportunistic last year. They were pretty salty. Yeah, they're opportunistic, but, but I, they're not stout. No, no, I, I, I can go with that. Yeah, the, like the first two kind of stood out to me, Auburn, Florida for sure. The third one, I was like, I can go a couple different ways. So, I mean, is that kind of a good sign for us that we don't have like more than two defenses that stand out as like, hey, man, this defense is going to be really tough? I, I think, um, yeah, I would say it's a nice thing to yeah. have. Uh, I, I went ahead. I, I thought about Mississippi State. I went ahead and picked Vanderbilt 
Just, you know, Derek Mason, that's how he cut his teeth. We know we all know Vanderbilt's not the most talented defense in the world, and yes, they do lose Zach Cunningham, and that was the, the, the heart and soul of that defense, of course. I don't think they're going to be as good as they were last year, but I will say the past two years uh, with Derek Mason running that show, while well, he was the defense coordinator last year and head coach, uh, they finished in the top six in the, in the league, so the top half of the SEC the past two years. So, yeah, I mean, by virtue of default, I mean, Missouri, no, Missouri was terrible defensively last year. Mississippi State could be the answer. Uh, South Carolina, I just I know they're getting Sky Moore back, but man, there are a lot of holes on that defense. Kentucky got Courtney Love at linebacker, but I'm not. I mean, I know he was he's one of their better players, but I don't think he's all that great. Tech, no, I mean Tech doesn't have the talent. So I guess I'm gonna go with Vanderbilt if I had to pick one. Yeah, that would be my number three team there. All right, um, all right. This is a crazy question, Kerr. Are you a WWE fan at all? I, I'm not even a fan. Have you ever been into it at any point in your life? So this is probably the best question for you. But it's an interesting question. I told Ben from Twitter that I would include it. It's really tough for me. Um, we'll get into this because I haven't watched the WWE in a long time. And nothing against people who do. I, I mean, I used to love that stuff. I just honestly don't have time to watch it now. Uh, but I don't think there's anything wrong with people who watch it or anything. I think it's, 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 it's a male soap opera is what it is. It's, kind of been, it's always been interesting. Uh, but Ben from Twitter says, crazy question. But if you could compare, predict... Compare or predict the 2017 Georgia team to a WWE wrestler, past or present. Who would it be, and why? Honestly, is this answering it in that way is tougher because I don't know what this 2017 Georgia team is going to be. So Ben, if you don't mind, buddy, uh, I'm going to kind of just flip the question a little bit, just modify it ever so slightly, so that I can try to answer it because my frame of reference is a little bit different. Um, I probably stopped watching it shortly after the Attitude Era. Uh, that's when I was really into it. It's kind of my childhood there. Me, I mean, I was big time into it. Watch all the pay per views, all that good stuff. Uh, the Rock is still to this day my idol. I don't know who Dwayne Johnson is. I know who The Rock is. This Dwayne Johnson person, I'm not sure who that is. It's always going to be The Rock to me. Uh, probably one of the greatest men to ever live. Uh, but Ben, so what I'm going to do to change this question real quick is if you change to say. Which WWE wrestler, past or present, would you compare our overall program to historically? Because that's kind of how I initially read your question. And then I went back and read it again. I was like, oh, I completely read that wrong. So I'll say historically, I would compare us to, I don't know, this is kind of weird maybe. I would say the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels, who was one of my favorites before uh, The Rock came on the scene. Yeah, Shawn Michaels, he's the guy who had all the potential in the world. Had all the charisma in the world, had everything going for him, had a lot of resources, was quick, powerful, had a great finishing move, the sweet chin music, had all of those things. I was good looking, uh, had all the ladies, you know, I mean, he was the sexy boy, right? That's what they called him. Um, man, I still, sexy boy. Sorry to subject you guys to that, but I love that theme song. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so I would go with Shawn Michaels because all those things, he had all the resources, he had everything it took to be great. And he had his moments. He had his heyday. Then he has the back injuries out for a while. Then he finally comes back. But in, out of all all that he had going for him, as popular as he was, as many fans as he did have, he wasn't overly successful in the ring in terms of winning WWE titles. If I remember correctly, I think he has like four WWE championship titles in his history. four-time champion, I think. Uh, I went back and looked that up and think that's correct. Which is nothing to, to kind of scoff at, but when you factor in all the hype, you factor in all the resources he had, all the skills he had, all the fans he had, everything he had going for him, and to only win it four times, and you got a bunch of other guys who've won it 
you know, some some people double digit times. I don't know if he ever quite reached his potential in terms of winning WWE titles. So I think that's us, you know, in terms of hardware and winning championships. We've got all these resources, we're one of the most talent rich states in the country. I uh, have a great fan base, I have all the money, I have one of the best universities in the history of the world. We live in the best city in the history of the world. Uh, but yet we don't have that many titles to our name. So we've kind of been underachieving to a degree. Uh, so I, I don't know if that answers your question, Ben. And some of you are probably shaking your head and turning it off right now. But I told Ben I'd give it a shot, so there we go. All right, let's move on to the next one here. Ellis from Twitter asks, Does this 2017 Georgia team have more potential than the glorified 2007 Georgia team, which is the team that was maybe the best team we've had or the best team we had in the market era, possibly. Uh, so, Kurt... I don't know if that was, was that a little bit before your time, 2007? Not as, not completely, not but too. I would definitely say, in my opinion, I think the 2017 had a little bit better. Um, I think we just had better offensive weapons. This year? No, the 2007. 2007. Yeah, man, uh, I, I'm with you. I, it's, hard to, it's hard to really say without seeing this 2017 team in action yet, because I do think... It really depends on how big of a jump a lot of guys on our team this year make in year two. Talking about Jacob Eason, Isaac Nauta, Riley Ridley, Javon Wims. I think it depends a lot on how much of a jump those guys make in year two. But if we're just basing it on rosters, I, I think I'm going to have to take the 2017 or the 2007 team. I mean, think about the, some of the guys that were on that team. If you look at the running back, I, I mean, I know we're stacked at running back right now. Kurt, which running back group do you take? The, the group we have right now in 2017? Or a 2007 group that includes Caleb King, Thomas Brown, Craig Lumpkin, and Noshawn Moreno. I had to go with that group. <sighs> they yeah. all they all had glory days. I mean, Craig Lumpkin was when he was healthy was a bad man. Thomas Brown so underrated, and they were both seniors that year. Um, you remember, we had redshirt and Noshawn, um, and that was you know Mark Rick. I mean, he I still think he rues doing that. But uh, I will say, I think that I think Chubb, I would take Chubb over Noshawn. So I would take the top level talent that we have on this year's team over Noshawn. Is that fair? Yeah, but they had a lot of more upper class. Yeah, players. yeah. I and mean, if you factor in, you know, Caleb King was I mean, he had his moments at times. You know, he obviously didn't end up finishing with us, but he had his moments. I and mean, it's it's a tough call. I can go either way, but I, I think I might go with you there on the running backs on the running back side. And if you look at the offensive line, it's no freaking contest. I mean, I know we have some young guys. And those young guys might be good down the road. They probably will be. But right now, as true freshmen, I don't know. I mean, this is a team in 2007 that had Clint Bowling on the roster. You had old Chester Adams. You had uh, Fernando Velasco. You had Trenton Sturdivant started as a true freshman. And, we, man, he looks, God, I still, man, can't get over Trenton getting hurt like that. But the offensive line, I think, was definitely uh, better than what Did we, we have, have right now. Glenn then, too? Who? Cordy Glenn. Cordy Glenn. I don't think he was on the 2017. I'm looking it up right now. Now, he wasn't on the 2017. You had Vince Vance, Scott Haverkamp. Man, at least bring back some memories. Tanner Strickland. Remember these guys. Um, defensive line, you had Marcus Howard. Remember he just absolutely decapitated uh, the Hawaii quarterback? Uh, Colt Brennan. Yeah, Colt Brennan. absolutely decapitated Colt Brennan. Forced the fumble. I think we, we, we went up 31-7 at that point. We just absolutely steamrolled them. But you had Marcus Howard, you had Geno Atkins on the team, although Geno was never the player in college as he was that he is as a pro. Um, uh, so we had those guys on the on the offensive on the defensive front there. You had Jeff Owens, who was a junior. So we had some guys up front, and you had Brandon Miller at linebacker, who never quite lived to the high, but he's still a good player. We had Danelle Ellerby, Rennie Curran at linebacker. 
Uh, man, we just we had some studs. And at cornerback, you had Asher Allen, you had Brian Evans, safety, you had C.J. Bird, was a former five-star. Rashad Jones was a freshman that year. Drew Butler at punter. Uh, so, I mean, we definitely have some talent on this year's team. And we'll see. I would like to revisit this question after this season and see how some of these young guys progress. But I just don't mean some of those names are out off, guys. I mean, those are those are some big time names, some big time players. Brandon Sutherland, Brandon Katu at kicker. I mean, definitely had a special teams advantage over what we have this year, no doubt about it. Uh, and I'll say, man, look, that I know this might have been a little bit before your time, Kurt, but to me, that 2017 by the end of the season was unequivocally the best team in America. Now we screwed ourselves against South Carolina and Tennessee. I, I remember that South Carolina game vividly. And then I remember watching, oh my God, the two worst moments in, the, in my life were the 2012 SEC Championship game inside that stadium and then watching the Tennessee-Kentucky game the end of the year. All that Kentucky had to do was beat Tennessee and we go to the SEC title game, we beat LSU, we go to the National Championship game, we beat Ohio State. We were, we're national champs. But Kentucky falls in a heartbreaking fashion, triple overtime, failed to get the two-point conversion, man. I will never forget that. Oh my God, terrible memories, terrible memories. But, I mean, there's some similarities. Stafford, yeah, also had Stafford on the team. He was a sophomore. He struggled early, but he really caught fire. So, yeah, I'm going to go with that 2017. All right, next question is the one that you'll love this, Kurt. James from Twitter just snuck this in last night before the deadline. So, James, appreciate you sending the question in, man. James asks, why do some people, i.e. Greg McElroy, insist that Florida's defense will reload despite their poor recruiting? Kurt, I'm going to let you take that one first, man. Um, I think the big thing is his uh, his loyalty to Donkey Teeth. Yeah. Um, I think that's the biggest thing he's tried because a lot of people are on um, on the coach's case. I mean, uh, about his recruiting recently. Um, yeah, Florida really, fans aren't happy. No, they're very worried with the way he's been recruiting. I think he's trying to uh, oversell him just the fact to um, you know kind of just put him not in as much hot water. They know that even though he's one two. That their their outlook for the long term isn't looking yeah. as good. Yeah, they they the fans the Florida fans don't want to keep winning by default because let's face it they've won the last two SEC East titles by default because everyone else just kind of was average at best okay or just decent not good enough uh, and I think they understand that long term like you said they can't keep winning by default because we're catching up Tennessee might get caught up here pretty quick South Carolina is getting better so I, I think there's some some concern there on their part for me. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. If it, in Greg McElroy's case, it's definitely just out of control bias towards Jim McElroy. And I understand he coached with, he, he played for him, and he has a relationship with him. I get it. I, I totally understand that. It's hard to separate the two. But, I mean, just own that. Just own it and say, you know what? I can't be objective when talking about Florida because I'm close to Jim McElroy. Because right now, he's just not objective when he's talking about him. He's not. Like, I, I said on the, at the outside of the show, I don't think there's a huge gap between us and Florida. It could go either way. But, he speaks in declarative, absolute statements that Florida is just going to win the East. They're better than us. Georgia's not going to be any good. He actually, I, I think, he, I, I think I heard him say something along the lines that he would, he might have his borderline not ranked coming this season. Which, okay, that's fine. But I just think he's taking a little overboard. Uh, and I also think it's partly because outside of Greg Macro, because there are other people besides him who are on this bandwagon. I think the simple answer is because these. I know this sounds kind of harsh, but I just think it's true. I think they're lazy. They're just not doing their homework. They're just looking. In their mind, Florida's been good on defense for years now, going back to the Muschamp days. They've won the East two years running, and they reside in one of the most talent-rich states in the country. So why not Florida? Why should Florida, Why should anybody but Florida win the East this year, factoring in all of, all of that? So on the surface, I do get it, but 
when you actually do just a little bit of homework, you would see that Florida has simply been living off of Will Muschamp's elite defensive recruits, and those guys are all essentially gone now. And the recruiting, like you mentioned, it's, it's falling way off, particularly on the defensive side of the ball under Jim McElwain. So they will, in my mind, quite simply be replacing elite defensive talent with average to maybe slightly above average in some cases talent. And the talent disparity between Florida and their direct competitors for the SEC East title, particularly us, it's grown dramatically over the last three classes. And I, for one, predict you're going to start seeing the effects of that differential this year, as early as this year, for sure. So appreciate the question, James. All right, next question here. Uh, actually, the next couple questions are all recruiting questions. I want to kind of divide the team questions from the recruiting question there. So those were our team questions. Now we've got a couple recruiting questions to finish it up with here. Uh, so Jamie from Twitter, appreciate it, Jamie, asks, uh, including who we, have, who we already have committed, what is your dream recruiting class for the 2018 class? So Kurt, basically let's go like the guys that are, we have targeted uh, that we're still after. What would be best case scenario for you finishing up this 2018 class? Um, best case would be to land Field, Salyer, Hill, um, James Cook. Yeah. And then defensively, maybe Sam Bridge and um, Adam Anderson. For sure. Um, I think you want to land Tyreek Johnson, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I think... Those are the main. I'll stick to those guys. Let yeah. you name some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, that's that's pretty much who I have. I mean, look, I'm I'm going with the realistic best case scenario. I'm not just going to throw out the top ten list of the of the top ten prospects in the country because that's not realistic. What am I get? Some of them, but not all of them. So, guys that we're realistically in in the race for, obviously Justin Fields. I mean, dude, the dude's a baller. Simple as that. I cannot wait to watch that game uh, against Rome this weekend. It's going to be crazy on Friday. Uh, Adam Anderson, I think, is the best pass rusher in the country this year. Uh, James Cook out of Florida, Salyer Hill on the offensive line in the interior there. Luke Ford, who if we end up landing fields, has mentioned that he would like to play with him. So very real possibility there. Out of Illinois is a tight end. Tyree Johnson, as you mentioned. Otis Reese, I know he's committed to Michigan right now. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about us potentially uh, pulling the flip there. We'll see. There's been a lot of smoke around that, so I think that's a possibility. Rick Sandage and Trevor Trout on the defensive line there. And I know he's committed to Alabama right now, but if we could potentially flip Stephon Wynn back as a five-technique guy, I really like him there. I think he's a big-time player. So if we get to finish with those guys, maybe sprinkle in another guy here or there, I would be beyond thrilled. I'd be pumped with that group for sure. Uh, all right, next question here. Graham from Facebook. Appreciate it, Graham. Uh, Graham says, how in, or asked, how important is success on the field in 2017 – to our efforts in closing out the 2018 class. We had a couple questions that were along these same lines, so we I used Graham's question, so if you asked the same question, I didn't use you, I apologize, but we'll answer it anyway. So, Kurt, how would you answer that? I think it's huge because I think the coaches have to show that they can do something with this talent and that the freshmen um, will get some PT and develop. Yeah, I, I think it's absolutely critical. I'm definitely with you on this one. Because think about it, man. Like, what have we been selling since Kirby's gotten on board? What have we, what have we really been selling to recruits? Early playing time, playing time, man. New energy in the new program, starting over, starting a legacy, and the biggest thing, playing time. So, but you can only sell the fact that you have roster holes and playing time for the taking so long. You can only sell that for so long. I mean, ask Butch Jones up in Tennessee; he's learned that lesson over the past few years. Because once you fill those holes with with your first two or three signing classes, and you stack the roster with quality depth, at some point you got to start winning in order to keep the elite level process flowing into your program. So 
I think it's critical. And and there's already guys like you know Jamari Salyer, Trey Hill, Justin Fields, and a bunch of other guys. They have been very upfront with that this year. They very clearly said they want to see us win. I mean, I was reading. I think it was on Rivals. Uh, maybe Rivals. Yeah, I want to say it was on Rivals yesterday. Uh, that with an interview with Trey Hill, he was essentially saying, you know, he's he wants to take this to December right now. A lot of people thought he might commit early, but he's looking like he's going to take it to December, and he wants to see who's playing on our offensive line, uh, who's going to be in his way, and how we perform. Are we going to win? Because he said flat out, straight up, that he wants to win in college. So I think it's a big deal for a lot of these guys. I think that's why some of these guys have, some of these bigger prospects, some of these five-star guys, most of them are holding off because they do. They want to wait and see, can Kirby get it done? Because you know that our opponents, our rivals, they are negatively recruiting against us and negatively recruiting against Curry by saying he's never done it. He's never shown he can be a head man. He might he might just be a career defensive coordinator. That's all he's good for. And we he, Kirby in year one didn't prove him wrong. So I think our guys that we're after are waiting to see. They're in wait-and-see mode to see if what Kirby's selling if, in terms of his vision for the program can actually come to fruition. They can be a part of a winning championship-level championship program. All right. Uh, number 12 here on the list. This is Zach from Twitter. Thank you, Zach, for sending the question, man. Definitely appreciate it. Uh, Zach says, or asks, if we have room in the class, do you think we take another wide receiver like Jalen Jordan or another tackle like maybe Daniel Falele, the big 400-pound Aussie? How do you see that, Kurt? Um, honestly, no. I think the wide receiver is set because the fact is if they start taking too many it's going to hurt us in next year's class, and that's where a lot of the focus is on wide receiver. Yeah. Um, a lot of the guys we have committed right now, um, we talked about it, are not immediate impact type guys. They're more guys that are allowed us to build some quality depth. Yeah. Um, and that tackle position, I also don't see it because we've got guys in Wilson and Thomas that are going to hold down that position for three years, and someone like um, Owen Conkin, Condon. at least, how yeah. you say Owen it, Condon. Yeah. He's someone that, once again, builds depth, and you'll expect to be there, make big impact his third and fourth And year. don't forget about Ben Cleveland, still a young guy on the roster. Yeah, and that's what, you're not going to see us taking all these guys, because we just honestly just don't have the, uh, we, I mean, we'll want to be able to pitch some other guys, that, hey, you can start in your first second year, Well, we can't do that if we keep taking guys. Yeah, I mean, you got to have a balanced roster. I mean, I know you want to take all these guys that want to commit to you, but at some point, you have to say no. I mean, we need to balance out our roster, you got to manage your roster properly, which was a problem under Mark Rick. One of the, well, I think one of his biggest faults, people don't talk about enough, is his roster management. It was just, I mean, I think losing the 2012 SEC title game was a direct result of piss-poor roster management. I mean, what do we have, like 65 scholarship players? You're just not going to win in that scenario when Alabama's got 85. They got the max. It's just not going to happen. We got we were winning that game, and then we got worn down late because our guys on defense just got absolutely worn down. That's just that's what happened. Um, but to answer this question, like, I, I would start by saying the board, the recruiting board is always evolving. Uh, but right now, I'm with you, Kurt. I think the plan is, and we don't know this for sure because we don't have access to the recruiting board, but from piecing together info from different sources and just kind of using common sense, right now I think we are completely fine with taking two wide receivers. I think we're content with that. I think you might see us take a shot at a big-name wide receiver and see if we get any sort of traction. Um, and kind of having two guys already in the fold allows us to, that allows us to do that. If we're already content with two, we can take a shot at a, at a big-time guy. Um, but if we, we don't need three. I mean, we just signed five last year, if you include Akil Crumpton. We already had two five-star prospects come in, the, in the, at the position for 2019. Jaden Hazelwood might be the best of all the guys on campus right now. Uh, but if we do end up taking three, it, I think we'd only take a third guy if it's an absolutely elite, can't-miss type prospect. They start to show interest. And I just don't know if that's going to happen right now. I think we're probably going to sit with two. 
And the offensive line, um, I'm with you there again, Kurt. I, I think we're content to hold those last two spots on the offensive line for Hill and Salyer. I will say if we miss on one or both of Hill and Salyer, in that case, would you see us maybe taking another guy? Not a tackle. Yeah, and I, I, that's exactly right. I, I think we're, we're saving two interior spots. Right now we're recruiting uh, Hill as a center, essentially, and Salyer, he's an interior player. He's going to be a guard for us. Um, I, so, I mean, look, I, I is an intriguing prospect. I get he's a big guy, a raw prospect that, that I'm sure Sam Pitt would like to get his claws on, but – I, I'm with you. I think we're looking to more so fill those interior spots with these last two offensive line spots. I mean, he'll install your ideally, but we'll maybe move on to another interior guy if we don't land one of those guys. All right, uh, next one here, Russell from Twitter. He's got a couple others real quick here. Russell from Twitter. Appreciate it, Russell. Russell asks, after the Fields, Anderson, and Cook decisions, talking about Justin Fields, Adam Anderson, and James Cook, who are our next most likely recruits to pull the trigger? And also, what's the biggest area of need? Um, the next most likely will probably be someone like a Luke Ford that could possibly commit to us, like you mentioned earlier. Um, and then yeah. after that, um, you're maybe looking at some defensive backs. Do you think that's the and, biggest area of need right now? Or no, I'm talking about people that pull the trigger. Oh, pull the trigger, gotcha, gotcha. The area of need is uh, we've got to lock down some D-linemen. God, yeah, that's no doubt. I mean, I'm, I mean, right now, for, for the next – for this year and maybe next year, we're fine on the defensive line. But moving forward, there's going to be a serious lack of depth. And we're probably, if we don't get some guys in this class, because the defensive line class is down this year in state. It was largely last year with a few exceptions, guys that we didn't really land. But whatever, leave them nameless. Um, but we're going to be in a situation where we might be playing a lot of young guys up front of the defensive line like we were last year uh, in a couple of years. And that's never a, a place you want to be in if you could avoid it. Uh, and I still say the SEC, the difference in elite defenses and defenses that are that are good or pretty good is elite defensive line play. We just got to get some guys. We got to get some not just bodies, but guys that can play. Some dudes. Um, I was. It's hard to say right now who would be the most likely guys to pull the trigger outside of Fields, Anderson, and Cook. Because I do think, I mean, wouldn't you say those are probably the three most likely to do it pretty soon? Yeah, they're saying that Cook could do it on his official visit Monday. Uh next Saturday. Yeah, he's coming up for the first game. So I mean and I think he's bringing his parent his mom at least I believe I read is coming up with him. So that absolutely could be a, the the next guy that pulls the trigger, but outside of those three it's tough because I think those are the three that I would look at first and foremost. But I, I think you're right if Fields pulls the trigger, I think a guy like I, I'm with you on Luke Ford, I think he might end up pulling the trigger. He has mentioned a couple times that he is highly interested in playing with Justin Fields and he's interested in us so if Fields ends up here and and that's a situation that he likes. I, I can see him pulling the trigger for us. Maybe uh, Tremel Walthour, a uh, defensive tackle prospect from Liberty County. I could see him possibly not waiting too much longer. Maybe Otis Reese from Lee. Uh, you know, he's, Like I said earlier, he's committed to Michigan right now, but there's been a lot of smoke around him potentially flipping to us. I, I could see that happening from what I'm hearing. So maybe there's a couple guys there that you might want to keep an eye on over the next couple weeks, month or so. All right, and finally, last question here. I think this is all that we got, all the questions that were sent in. So if we miss your question, I promise you it was not all, it was not intentional. Uh, it's just me being an idiot and missing it. But I think this is the last one. Jonathan from Twitter, one of our loyal listeners. Thanks for asking this question, Jonathan. We do appreciate it, buddy. And Jonathan asks, at Are you at all worried about interior offensive line depth being too crowded, which could prevent us from getting Hill and Salyer in the 18 class? How are you looking at that, Kurt? I don't think so because I think, in all honesty, those guys. First off, Hill is looking more at guard, and you're not seeing 
that Bill's video a center, got, right? I mean, he was, I think we're yeah. him a center. Yeah. I mean, center. That's what I meant. Right, center. Yeah. And all you see ahead of him is Gal, uh, Gilliard, and I mean, he's a redshirt junior, so you don't. Yeah. I mean, he's got maximum one year after this year. Yeah, and then one thing with Salier, yeah, you can have all these young guys, but if none of them are locked down a position, well, then it's still open game. And Sawyer is freaking crazy good. I I love I mean, the young guys we brought also, in. It's, that's like what Alabama pitches people. If you're that good, you'll start over. Won't yeah, happen. I mean, look, I really like Matory Johnson. I like what we have in Justin Schaefer. Uh, I like Ben Cleveland. I like a lot of these guys. Uh, but Sawyer, honestly, from what I've seen from him, he might be better than all. I think he likely is better than all of them. So for for a guy like that, I mean, I know you want to make – sure, it makes sense you want to have the easiest path, easiest path to playing time. But if this is where you want to be, don't let that discourage you because you are a bad mother, dude, and you're going to play really anywhere you go. Uh, but I, I will say, I think it's a, I, I think it could be a factor. It, you, it's hard to get inside these guys' heads. You don't know. Um, but winning in early playing time seem to be the two biggest factors for these guys. If you listen to their interviews and kind of read between the lines, I, I, I'm with you on, on Hill. I don't think it's as big of a deal, deal for Hill. Because we are, like you said, recruiting him as the center of the future. Gilliard, I mean, if he sticks at center, he's going to have maximum one year after this year. So after that, it'd be Hill's spot for the taking. And uh, like we mentioned Sawyer's path might not be as open, but he's a guard all the way. And, I mean, he, he's just a good dude. He's a good player, man. I, I think he would start over most of those guys. But, I mean, it, it could impact Sawyer more because we do have Solomon Kinley as a redshirt freshman. He's likely to start this season. He's at one of the guard positions. Then we did sign to Tory Johnson, Justin Schaefer last year. And the crown jewel of last year's class, Isaiah Wilson, I mean, I think long-term he's a tackle. But right now he's currently working at guard. And I th- I, I know Cleveland is right now working at tackle. But I think he's more of a, of a fit at guard. We'll see how that plays out. I, but I, I don't think it would be much of, an, of a factor for Sawyer because I do think he is that good. I think he knows how good he is. But I do think it's probably more of a factor for Sawyer than it is for... Um, Hill right now, by virtue of the fact that Hill is probably going to end up playing center. All right, guys. Hope you enjoyed the show here today. We always enjoy interacting with you guys, getting to answer all your questions. We do uh, love digging into all of these. Uh, but, guys, man, it's hard to believe, but next week is game week. I cannot freaking wait. Uh, first show next week, we're going to have our prediction show for season predictions, and we're going to be predicting the SEC East and the SEC West the order of finish in both those divisions and then obviously we're going to be predicting the SEC title game as well so make sure you check into that it's always one of our favorite shows to do all year long and then the second show of next week will be our official game one Appalachian State game preview so it is very real guys it's just around the corner cannot wait always appreciate you checking and listening to the show we do appreciate the support for Curtis I'm Tyler go dogs.